Welcome to the Works of Wonder Therapy podcast. I'm Dr. Beth Long, and today is part one of our discussion with speech-language pathologist Haley Jordan. Please click like, subscribe, or ring the bell if you enjoy this podcast. And also, we would love to have any questions or comments that you would like addressed in future podcasts. Since we had Dr. Ashley talk about the importance of certain nutritious foods, um, Haley's specialty in speech is feeding therapy. And so I wanted her to come on and help us learn how to help children who are food resistant. Is that the right word? Yeah, there's all kind of words out there, okay. so many categories, and, and we can get into that. But just feeding aversions in general, absolutely. Okay, so children who have feeding aversions, mm-hmm. how we teach them to have a more, a wider variety in their appetite. Correct, yes. Okay, all right, so, okay, so tell us first. Yeah. Tell us how you came into speech therapy. I have no idea. Well, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, and I was on speech and debate, vice president, doing my thing, and then I sat in on a deposition, and it was like two people arguing, this is my state line, and this is my state line, this is my property. And I just wasn't passionate about it. And so um, a family friend of ours said, well, my friend is a speech pathologist. You should go shadow at AUM's clinic. And I did, instantly fell in love, and every door has opened up and followed through and made sense. And here we are, and it keeps seeming to be what I'm supposed to be doing. Yay! So, Are you happy to go to work every day? Yes, I love what I do. I love my caseload. I love my kiddos. Um, and I learn every day. Like, school did not stop. Like, it's constant. <laughs> it <laughs> and it's very different than school. School gives you, you know, you know this, your foundation, and then the kids teach you everything else. Everything, you need to yes. Know. Because what you learn in a classroom, and even what you learn in, like, your supervision as a clinician Mm-hmm. Is not the same as when you're in that room all by yourself. No, it's not. And they and they will throw things at you. Yeah, and very honest, yeah. brutally honest. Um, okay, so kind of tell us what type of feeding therapy you do. So it's definitely um, sensory and feeding aversions, becoming more comfortable with food, accepting food in your space and your intake, and naturally progressing through. You know, there's a hierarchy that we follow. I also work with some dysphagia in the sense of like kids have to learn how to eat just like they have to learn how to walk it's not something that comes naturally so kids go from this suck munch kind of swallow where they just use their tongue and they thrust everything up and push it back and so if they don't learn how to you know lateralize and push from the left side to the right side of the mouth and start chewing then when you present more solid like foods they're not going to eat them because they don't know how. So my job is to help teach them how to chew and how to eat because a lot of the problems are, well, they're aversive because they can't do it, and you're presenting a food that's too hard. So if I fix the mechanical problem, then now we're going to eat more, if that makes sense. So there's, no, a, there's, a, there's a couple of different ways you can come at it because there are plenty of kids who, you know, they have nothing mechanically not in place and they are just aversive they don't want to eat it but we call those kids like your your picky eaters okay because they know the foods they like they know the foods they don't like and they generally have like at least 30 foods that they will eat um your prop your problem feeders the ones that have like pretty severe aversions normally have about less than 20 foods in their food inventory and so then we have to get some more deep intervention in okay there, that makes sense okay so just the word dysphagia yeah. Actually means the inability to do the muscle movements necessary to it, eat food. It is an impairment in the swallow tract, in the swallow system. It can be orally, it can be pharyngeally, and it can be, um, you know, related to your esophageal tract. So okay. 
in the pediatric setting and what I and what I do, I'm not in a hospital. I'm in a private practice clinic. It's going to be all oral predominantly. There okay. are some pharyngeal exercises in the adult world. I'm not saying you can't do them with children. It's just, you know, cognitive level has to be in place. You have to be able to understand the techniques I'm telling you. You have to be able to do the exercises. And a lot of times with these babies, um, you know, you can just kind of put something in their mouth that's a non-food item that can help train them how to do some of those movements that we have to learn how to eat. Okay. So if I were a parent and I were listening to this, mm-hmm. I would be like, does my child have this? So can you give us just some little indicators of what we need to look for that might be a concern? For dysphagia versus yes, sensory? Yes, just for dysphagia. Just, yes. Okay. So dysphagia, you're really going to want to look at... Um, signs and symptoms of aspiration. So you have penetration where the liquid or the the bolus enters the airway but doesn't go all the way through and comes back out. And then you have aspiration where it actually enters the airway and that's where you choke. So the tricky thing is some people, children and adults, are silent aspirators and they will not cough. They They don't, that reflex is not in place. So you have to look for watery eyes if they're, especially in children, if they have an increase in fever, if they if their temperature spikes and comes back down, breathing that's not normal while they eat, any of those kind of things. Um, your pro, your feeding aversion, where it's, everything is okay, and mm-hmm. they may just need to learn how to chew, um, they're just still in that suck, munch. Kinda, so it's all still in the mouth. Yeah, but they're not choking or aspirating okay. or having poor, you know, tongue coordination or oral movements. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. It does. Okay. It does. Okay. So now let's move on to where it's more of a sensory issue. Right. Okay. Go. So I, I I love to. So I attended a feeding conference in December. Uh, Dr. K. Toomey. So a lot of this comes from her. I do not take credit for <laughs> these fun facts. Um, but one of the things I learned there that blew my mind is that you know we hear a lot. We just have a. They have an overactive gag reflex, gag response, that is not totally accurate because a gag response cannot be truly in place unless it's tactically, tactically stimulated. Like unless the back of your tongue is actually touched with something, that's a true gag. So anything else is a visual response. If I'm gagging and there's nothing in my mouth, it's a sensory aversion because I'm overstimulated by whatever you presented in front of me. Or some people, it can be words. Like if you just talk about you know, certain, you know, people have like cringe words. Like some people can't handle the word moist, and it'll make them freak freak out. <laughs> a lot of people, it right? Seems like. So it can be a number of things that set off the the gag reflex. So uh, that's part of it. But we also have a lot of children. So eating is not our body's first priority. It's breathing, and then it's protecting our brain, and then it's eating. So we have to have good respiratory function. If we're not, then we're not worried about eating. And then we have to protect our brain. And a lot of our kiddos especially in my field and in your field, like have no awareness of where their body is in space. They are constantly (laughs) sensory seeking and they can be over responsive and under responsive. Mm -hmm. And we could talk more about that if you want. But um, so what we want to do is eliminate their need to seek for themselves where they are in space. So the best recommendation when you're going to do feeding is to be in what we call a 90-90-90 chair. So it's 90 degrees on the back, 90 degrees on your bottom, and then 90 degrees down. So you have input to push your feet against the bottom. You have input Mm. to push your back against the back, and your bottom is flat. Because if we're not worried about protecting our brain and where our body is in space, then now we can focus on, okay, I'm about to eat. I'm ready to eat. I want to eat. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you said something interesting. You said um, it's only gag reflex if it touches the back of the tongue. That's a true gag reflex, yes. But, we right, we see people gag 
before that, which you said is a visual reaction. Mm-hmm. So explain that. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. Like there, as a, even as a feeding therapist, there are foods I don't want to eat. Like you know. If you show me, our parents, my grandparents used to love this like mayonnaise and apricot pear salad thing. I'm, that's disgusting to me. And I, I should not be saying this in therapy. I would never say this. We're going to eat all foods. <laughs> hear me. We're going to accept everything. All foods are yummy. Um, but, you know, we all have our own preferences. Mm. So does that make sense? You need, it like, does. Clarification? It, does. It, it can be any kind of visual it can be it can be different, you know. You'll hear kids, you know, or parents say, you know, they'll eat X Y Z at school, but they won't eat it at home. It's because at school it's presented the same way every time. But at home, you may present apples differently than the school presented apples. So because it just visually looks different, they may not accept it the way that they accept it in other settings. Okay, so I may be jumping ahead of where you want to go. That's okay. Let's just <laughs> go there. But so so talk to us about how parents should should work on that visual aspect. You should just present foods in as many ways as you can and in any variety and setting that works for your kid, especially if you know they have a preferred food and method that they like. So a lot of what we do, the course I took was called the SOS Approach to Feeding, Sequential Oral Sensory Approach to Feeding. And essentially what we do is we build a food hierarchy. So if I'm going to work with a kid who I know likes, who I know that they like Cheetos, I'm going to build a hierarchy of about five to six foods that are all orange in nature and build off of each other. So I might have the cheese puffs. I might have goldfish. I might have orange veggie straws. I might also have um, carrots, like mushed soft carrots, hot and warm. Uh, you know, either way, just to, to figure out what they like because hot carrots are different than warm carrots. So that whole sensory thing, like right. the input that they get from, from food is just like any input you would get from anything else in the world. So things like that, you just build around what they like and incorporate other foods. And the approach would love for you to have, you know, your, a protein and a starch and, right. and all the things. But let's be honest, a lot of people are parents and on the go, and it's, it's hard to make all that happen. And nine times out of ten, the child that has the feeding issue is not their only child that they're right. trying to feed. So, you know, there, there does have to be some practicality there, but just building on what you know the child likes and expanding it outward. That's a great example of the... Cheeto, but um, so so. Would you do those five foods several times in a row? Every time you eat, you every want, time do the you want to get technical or you want to get practical? Because I want to do it for parents. Okay, yeah. So, um, no, I I would keep at least two to three foods consistent for every every meal, and then change the consistent foods out about every. Mm, three to five meals, maybe. I mean, there's not like an exact science to it. You just want to have enough variety to where they're not creating what we call a food jag. A food jag is essentially where you become satiated on a food. Like if you only eat Cheetos, you'll eat them, eat them, eat them, and you'll get burnt out. And you know about that same behavior and and everything else. So, and then they won't eat it. And then you have parents all the time say, well, they used to eat it and then they stopped. And I don't know why, because they're done with it. Right. And they got burnt on it. So you do, that's why you want to change and you don't want to keep the same things every time. And you want to increase their variety, especially from you mentioned last week's podcast like a nutrition standpoint like you need to try to increase what they are taking in you don't want it to just be starches or or just be sweets um because another thing i learned at the conference are sweets are an appetite suppressant and you if you want your kid to eat you don't want to just have them eating sweet stuff because then they're not gonna eat you know so it just all works together it's very complex and then also 
I mean, I believe I believe what I'm about to say. I think I mean, right there's a lot of research that backs it up. But um, what you eat also kind of shapes your gut biome. Yeah, and it changes what you crave. Yeah, I was so. um, I was you know reading through some of the notes from conferences to kind of prep, and I came across one where she, Dr. K. Timmy, talks about how your gut is a second brain. Like it, it will tell you what is wrong. And I, I don't know much about GI health, so I'm not going to speak a lot on GI health. But I do know that your body talks to you, and it will let you know. And it will let you know, like if you look at your kids' bowel movements, like issues that might be there because of what they're eating or what they're not eating. And that's really kind of what the whole idea to feeding and, and, and the base of it is, is like it's a whole body approach because there's so much going on, especially as they're learning so many things from birth to as an adult. Um, you, you have to assess the whole thing. Like I said, you know, how's breathing? How is their GI tract? Are they on any psychological medicines that suppress appetite? Um do they have other mental conditions? Like it's a it's a number of things before it's just like okay they're not eating, right? Right. No, that's very fair. Very yeah. fair. Okay, so so I'm a parent. I walk into your clinic and I say my child eats. I'm gonna make up some foods. Okay. Um, what do I hear a lot? We hear a lot of carbohydrates. Just yeah. my child eats mac and cheese, yeah, um, chips and cereal. Mm-hmm. So. We get that. I mean, those three a lot. Oh, and carbs usually are good. chicken nuggets. Yeah, so. carbs are great. <laughs> they are. So, so tell tell me what where you would start with that child on day one. On day one, are we talking about this child knows how to chew? They know how to eat. Yes, it's just maybe like a seven year old who's just. It's a sensory issue. All the biological parts are working perfectly. Okay, and they're cognitive enough to understand. Yes. Okay, great. So, uh, one thing. I'm going to get ahead of myself as well. You guys know where I'm starting. <laughs> so um, a big part of feeding therapy is you never force a kid to eat anything or make them feel like they have to. I talked about appetite suppressants. Fear is a big appetite suppressant. So if you present something and they don't want to have it and you make them feel like they have to have it, they're not going to eat. It's why a lot of times you'll present food at dinner and they're like, I'm not hungry. And then 30 minutes they say, I'm hungry because the fear is gone. And now they're like, all right, I'm ready to eat. So... I want to start off with never, ever making a child feel like they have to eat anything. But I would pick one of the foods. Um, did you say cereal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it a specific kind? Like you have to get. Let's say Captain Crunch. Is that yellow? Is that. Um, yeah, it's yellow and it's got little berries in it. It's like a yellow square. with. Yeah. Okay. Berries. So I would I would probably if they eat the berries in, in the Captain Crunch, I would probably have that. And I would add some other things that look similar. I might add blueberries on the plate. I might add strawberries that are in similar in shape on the plate. You want to when you're starting, you want to keep things in a similar um, visually like the same look. So if it was circles, I want to try to keep similar circles, same color palette, same things like that. Um, so I would do the Captain Crunch cereal. I would do uh, like blueberries. I might do. Um, like a I'm trying to think about all, all the yeah grapes would be grapes would be good. There's not many purple car carbohydrates. Maybe, maybe like cutting up. There's some blue and red. So so maybe like cutting up strawberries. Yeah. So yeah, they're yeah. like small, like the little. Yeah. Okay. Um, Gummies. Yeah, you could do gummies. They're a little bit. They're a little bit sweeter. You would just kind of build a hierarchy off of that. I haven't really, I do a lot of orange and green in our clinic, a lot of orange, green, and brown. You could dice up tomatoes okay. because those are also red. Uh, 
I mean, there are some of the veggie straws that are kind of red, similar in that in that color and texture, and just keep building off of the preferred food and just slightly changing it enough to branch it out. Okay, so you said never force the child to eat, which I, right? Yeah. Fully support. However, um, how do you, how do you in your clinic encourage a child to try something different? It is all play. All play. I mean, I feel like you hear that when you come to me or any speech pathologist for for language or uh, articulation, any kind of thing. But it is play Um, because the SOS approach follows a like a a hierarchy and there's pretty much it's just exposure, essentially. And it's desensitization, desensitization. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they have to go from they have to tolerate it in their space and then they have to be able to interact with the food. Then they have to be able to smell the food, and then they have to be able to touch the food, and then taste the food, and then finally eat. So there are six steps that they kind of have to work through, and there's so many steps within those steps of touch, taste, smell, eat that we can that we can use and play. So I've had a kid go from pushing away foods that I presented to touching it to their lips within a session because we do it through play. So that example was. Um, we did green that day. So he liked apple jacks. So we had just the green apple jacks, a green juice. We had green veggie straws, uh, peas from a can, not warmed up, and raw broccoli. And he did not want to interact with the broccoli or, or the peas at all. <laughs> and he loved the apple jacks and the, and the juice. And so I was like, all right, well, you know what? What can I do? How can I follow this child's lead? And I said, well, let's make a potion. Let's put this stuff in our juice and make a potion. But we have to drink it to turn into something. And when we made it that way, he did it. So he went from pushing it away to drinking the juice, all that food, that broccoli, that pea, touching his lips. He was never eating it. He was never eating it but he would drink it and then we would we would say okay it's working it's working what are we <laughs> and then every time he wanted to change he had to turn back into something else and it didn't the juice flavor never changed it was just the visual but for him he was motivated enough by play and the potion to allow it to touch his lips um, and that's just one example Dr. K. Toomey talks a lot about, and you would definitely know more about this, the cognitive development stage of play in children. So, like, obviously we go from when we're babies mashing and banging and throwing, Mm -hmm. and then it's that play and that everything is magic and make-believe, and then we're more logical, then we become more abstract. So you definitely want to have those things in in consideration when you're going to play because you would not want to, like, do a potion with your nine-year-old or 11-year-old, you right. might want to make it more rule-based, like, mm, I bet I can hold more on my mouth than you can, you know, like mm-hmm. a competition. You just have to roll with it um, and maybe research some play if that's something you're interested in or, or come to a speech therapist and we'll get you set up with a home program and things you can do. I just, I would, I would really encourage that those things are wins. I feel like a lot of times parents think a win is I'm, they're eating, they're swallowing, it went down. And uh, with feeding aversion specifically, a win is that they can have it in their space. They can bring it to their nose to smell it. And a lot of things you can do at home to help them, like ha- help them prep the food. If they're not going to eat the broccoli at dinner, have them help, you know, in a safe way, cut it or put it on the plate or serve it to the siblings. Have them help you clean up. Clean up is great because if you can get messy and you just push it, you know what I mean? Then it's all over their hands. A lot of what I do too is um, 
having wipes right there because I don't like to be dirty. Nobody likes to be dirty. <laughs> but food, feeding therapy is going to get messy. Like, you should play in your food 100%. But you also, if you can know that, like, okay, I can clean this off. I'm not going to freak out. The world's not going to end. This person's going to help me wipe my hands. Um, so there are times that, like, I'll have a kid, like, you know, I have one that likes to use the whiteboard, so I'll put the marker in, like, cheese grits. And it's up to him. He's never forced to grab it. But he'll he'll grab it, and then he'll want to wipe, and we wipe, and then he goes. But he went from not interacting with the grits to he's touching the grits. He's got his hands in it, and he's using it. Is that? Yeah, that's a great idea. Does that make sense? I would have never thought about it. Do, do y'all ever use, like, if then, if you take a bite, then you can have a bite of this? Or y'all it's, don't do it's that? It's not encouraged. No. Okay. Um, but again, every kid, every kid is different. So that would not be an SOS approach at all. So let me clearly separate. If you do that, that is not what um, I was taught at conference. <laughs> but, you know, kids are humans like us. And especially as they become those more logical thinkers, like I don't think it would hurt to try just as long as it's not forcing. And as long as you don't like they still have some reward. They can't not have a reward. You know what I mean? Like, because right. there, there are times that I'm, I may try a kid and I'll say, all right, if we do this, then this, and then they won't do it. But I will still give them that later on anyways, because I don't want them to feel like food is contingent upon or my reward is contingent upon if I eat. And I know that goes against the behavior stuff of, <laughs> of, of giving in, but you just have to take away the anxiety. Right, because no, if no. the anxieties their 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 appetite's gone. Well, and um, right, like you said, it is very different for every kid because there right. are some kids you could say if you do this and you do this, they won't. They're not concerned at all. Mm-hmm. That's fine with them. And mm-hmm. then there are some kids that if you say that, that just causes huge anxiety. Right, absolutely. Huge anxiety. So, okay, so big things to remember are play. Lots and lots and lots yes. of play. So if I if I would leave with anything, play, play, play. Like if you could even, you know, put have a perfect setting, ninety ninety chair. They're stripped down to their their diaper or their underwear, and and they are playing. And you might need a tarp underneath your chair because it's <laughs> gonna get messy. Um, and they are playing and enjoying food and using it as a as a toy. I never present a food in session that I I don't put in my mouth because instinctively and biologically, like when we used to be hunters and gatherers, like. As children, we would not eat unless we saw the caregiver eat because we didn't know what was safe and what was not safe. That's still in us. We just are more developed as a society. So modeling is a huge, huge part because if you're not going to eat something, why are you expecting your child to eat something? Why are you going to put something on their plate that you're not going to put in your mouth as well? Um, And that I do want to mention as well that appetite is something that that instinct does does fade um, over time. So like when people say, well, if he's hungry enough, he'll eat. That's not true because that instinct doesn't last for long. And we have to, you know, either associate feeding with pleasurable experiences or not pleasurable experiences. So if if we do have some dysphagia and we're choking, then we're scared to eat. If we don't know how to eat and it's hard to eat, then we're not going to want to eat. Versus if we have all these pleasurable, fun, playful, I'm learning how to do this just the same way I'm learning how to walk, then I'm going to associate feeding with with more happiness. I'm going to want to eat than negative emotions. Thank you so much for coming. You're so welcome. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you for all the advice. I learned a lot. I, truly, I, I learned a okay. lot today. I, it was very interesting. And we want to thank Von Forest Church for hosting this podcast. And if um, if you have a child who has special needs and you're looking for a church home, Von Forest has a program called VF Buddies um, that is specifically for children with special needs. And all the volunteers there have been trained in how to... Um, 
work with those children. And so we would love to have you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please click like, subscribe, or the bell. Like and subscribe to my channel. Like and subscribe to my channel. (laughs) And please leave us any questions that you have because we would be happy. I'm I'm sure you'd be happy to answer them, right? Absolutely. You can pass along my contact info to anybody. Okay. And if you have a specific question that we may need to do in another podcast, we'd love to know it. So we know more of what um, parents and families need to hear. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and our YouTube channel. And... um, Always remember to be kind and honest because it works wonders.